set. Yep. I think there are untapped, untyped duels that you can then pay mana to create the other two colors. So like a red green, it comes into play, you can tap for red green, but it doesn't have types. And then it's one and tap to produce the one of the other colors, one of the other two that they need. That'd be interesting. Uh, that I, interesting just, I was just assuming that they'd be reprints. The no, they said that they're new. They said they they can't or they don't want to put them in booster packs. That doesn't mean that they're not reprints, but I thought they said they weren't reprints. I was pretty sure, like the way I interpreted what I read was that there are reprints of cards that are hard to put into booster packs. Like I would suggest that, like, if they were new, like the old Fastlands, like if they were new, the Scars of Mirrodin's Fastlands, those are hard to put in booster packs because they're. They're also trash and commander. That doesn't stop them from putting them in there. Guys, Commander sucks. Magic's ruined forever. Move on with your lives. Did you just change into a Greenstone Beret shirt? No, I've been wearing yeah. it all day, actually. Uh, and I, I had three people ask me where it is, and they didn't read the final line. So You yeah. should have just said uh, Michigan. Also, Jim, that Chandra shirt looks like shit, but that other one looks great. You just told me you wanted them, so I bought them. Yeah, I mean, they're like limited edition, blah, 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 but I was unimpressed with the Chandra one. But it was just like 20 bucks. That buys you what, a banana? Uh, I don't know what you're getting out there. It's a, like, um, the only commander I'm super impressed with is the Phyrexia one. Like, that was really cool, but the, all the two-color ones are kind of like, I don't know. It doesn't really seem like they explore a whole bunch of new design space. It's like the red-white one is double-strike lifelink. The green-white one is like attack stuff. I don't know. Uh, the red-black one is deal damage. The, uh, the partner mechanic here is clever, but ultimately it feels a little like a cop-out. I mean, I it, it, it opens a little bit of space for people to make their own, like, okay, like, house rules, these can be partners now or whatever. Like, that's fine, I guess. I know. People are just, like, super mad that Gisela and Bruno are not partners. Do we know that like, they Yeah, like... It's the same well, as the, the uh, partner mechanic is what I mean. Yeah, well, they like can remake them, remake a partner versions of them. You, have, they've never done functional errata like that before. No, no, he's saying like new cards, but yeah. like they probably wouldn't be uh-huh. meld also. No, no. Well, it wouldn't make sense for them to be partners and meld, would it? I mean, I guess maybe. I don't know. Magic like, sucks. I don't... I know for a fact that like I've uh, I've like tossed around the idea because I have a sovereign. Deck Holy and I've shit! To do, like, I've wanted to do like sovereign draw together because they're brother and sister, and now it's kind of like official. Like if I do it, I'm all just right, let's get this cast started because we're already fifteen fucking minutes late. You guys have to record brainstorm brewery after this anyway, most likely. Not immediately after. Do you guys hear me? All right. Yeah. Do you have headphones? Uh, a little, a little weak. That's why I can put them on if it's if it's better. Yeah, that'd probably work a lot better. You got enough boxes behind you? Maybe. Where are those pictures? That's what I want to know. Jim podcast. He doesn't even play Which magic. pictures? On his wall. Nobody on this cast plays magic. Yeah, Jim was like was the only Jim was the odd one out before this. Now he's like just one of us. One of us. One of us. 
the magic. What, Jeremy, what is on your, what is like to the right of you behind you? Like, what's that picture? So I just had some roommate move in here. Uh, management forced it on me because he got kicked out for breaking other shit across the. Yeah, it's not a great situation. I'm not too happy. I'm so confused. What I just asked what that picture was. Anyway, he put up a Yeezy thing. It's like bears in different Yeezy albums. No, no, no. I don't care about the bears. Like, what's underneath that? There's like, like the anime, anime thing. Oh, it's um, Vegeta versus what's the green one? Piccolo. Piccolo. Yeah, sell in like yellow. It's weird as okay. shit. Yeah, he's an that interesting guy. Yeah, if you can't tell by wait, can you guys see my hands? Yeah, that picture is yeah. definitely not me. <laughs> I'd maybe you got a tan before you took it. Oh, now look who's racist. That's okay. I went into work Why today. They're like, stuff? "Where's your Hawaiian shirt and where's your tan?" And I was like, mm, it "Didn't happen." Anyways, Corbin, when we're not talking. If Travis fucking remembers this time, just mute your microphone so it doesn't pick up background noise. I like the only times that I have done it are intentional. Like I leave it unmuted on purpose. You sound yeah, stuck. and it still sucks. All right, is everyone ready to start? Is this like Brainstorm Brewery where I can play Magic Online while we cast? No, because ever because we actually have a live interaction with our audience and they can see oh. what you're doing. Oh fuck! Well, yeah, this is live. Well, in about two minutes. Well, they can, can you link me to the chat so I can actually, like, pay attention to it? I've so definitely... All you do is click the Twitter. Just, yeah, just go on YouTube. Go to, like, whatever. And make sure to mute it because it'll automatic... Like, you can't mute it before it starts, so you're going to hear a lot of feedback. You're just going to hear my beautiful voice more often. And then are we just going, like, in order again or whoever wants to talk, I guess, whatever. All right. All right. You guys want to mute your mic so we can start? Because I can just hear Corbin no. fucking typing. Triggered. Ah, uh, you missed your can, trigger. I was gonna play uh, Mirror's Edge for this. Can we? Can we? Can we start? Everyone's talking. I can't even hear what everyone's saying. Corbin, can you mute your mic, please? Yes. You can just click the Google Hangouts mute. You don't actually have to like mute your mic, and then you can hit spacebar to unmute it. It's pretty sweet. All right, let's no, start this. Not. Yeah, see, Corbin, you're talking, but you're muted, and then you just hit spacebar to talk. Easy peasy. All right, let me start this broadcast. You also, don't please don't interrupt the first minute. You can have your comments after the fact. Sound good? What does that even mean? Oh, I you mean know. I shouldn't call you out for saying dumb shit in the intro? Too late. All right, let's start this. Three... Oh, I come from a land from a far away place where there's no more reserved list. Where they cast mocks in for less than 20 pence. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. Where there's growth in the east and there's twin in the west and the sand in the glass is right. Come on down, stop on by, crew a copter and fly to another cartel aristocrats. Because we're on cast number 30. Hey guys, how's it going? It's Zemet here, and we have a special guest this week. When we said we wanted you to sing the the Pick of the Week song, you took way too much artistic <laughs> liberty in assuming that we wanted you to open your mouth with anything else. No, no, I think that's excellent. If we're going to do this, 
for a longer period of time, we should hop on Fiverr and pay somebody five bucks to actually decently sing that and then have that as our intro. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. What that All right. So we got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. Who's our special guest sitting over there? <laughs> hey, guys. I'm Corbin, and I don't know what I just witnessed here. That's, and, that's for sure. And as always, you can interact with us live if you're listening right now through YouTube. Uh, we listen to the comments and all that jazz. Who are the other rogues this week? Someone's wearing a festive Hawaiian shirt. Where'd they just get back from? Hawaii? You, you said it. Yeah. How'd you do at the Pro Tour? Very, very average. Like, I couldn't have been more average. I went four and four on both days just to finish eight and eight. Anyone else want to introduce themselves? I'm trying to find the YouTube uh, like discussion like live chat thing, but I can't find it. Click on the Twitter link that Cartel Aristocrats just tweeted. Man, we're doing this live. This is lovely. And then you click on that YouTube link, and then on the top right, you'll see people talking. We're not wasting like any actual time. We're just like spending. The, we normally just spend this time doing like intros and shit that everybody already knows. All right, I found it. Yeah, that was really hard. So people so will yeah, start. I just want to reinforce that Corbin is just a guest, nothing more. Yeah. Um, Something less, actually. He's he's a sub guest. A sub guest. We don't, don't talk about being like that. I don't mind being the guest. See, I, I'm comfortable with my life and where I'm at in my life. And when I'm asked to guest on something, I'm happy to guest. I don't really need to make myself feel like I'm doing more than being a guest. And what what do you do? That like what what <laughs> for people that don't know. Yeah, for anybody who's watching this who doesn't know, um, I'm Corbin Hostler. I do event coverage for Wizards of the Coast. Uh, I work for TCG Player, um, editing articles. Uh, I do. A, I used to be very heavily involved in Magic Finance. I do Brainstorm Brewery, so in that sense, I still am. Um, and I run a store here in Oklahoma. So do a lot of things with Magic. And DJ is uh, trying to give me crap because of um, we have him guest somewhat regularly on Brainstorm Brewery, and that's why he thinks he's uh, trying to get at me here, calling me a sub-guest. Not gonna work. I I don't know, man. I get like DMs all the time. People are like, "You should be on Brainstorm Brewery more," and I just say, "No, you don't." It's a hundred percent. No, you don't. Hundred <laughs> percent. We only have magic players on Brainstorm Brewery. That's That's all right. I'll get my revenge in like two hours when we're doing Breaking Bulk on Brainstorm Brewery, and I pick any number of like a hundred cards, and Corbin's like, "Oh, this is the first time I've heard of this card. I don't know what I'm doing." I'm Travis, Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter, Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, right every Wednesday at MTG Price, and I also do MTG Fast Finance with James Chilcott. And I'm Zemet, and I'm wondering why we're technically not streaming live to YouTube right now. So lovely. Uh, we've got our most uh, crack tech specialist on this, which is good. One guy doesn't know how YouTube works. The other one's never heard of Fiverr. For a bunch of 20-something white men, you guys know nothing about computers. Hey, guys, what's a computer? I have a computer. Yeah. I work on them daily. I don't know how they work, though. So, Jim, you went to the Pro Tour. What did you play? And Corbin, I believe, went too. So, like, what did you guys see at the Pro there Tour? Was, uh, I was there covering it. There was a lot of AetherWorks Marvel. It's what a lot of the pro teams settle on because they just wanted to play something unfair um, and try to, you know, just try to beat the field in that sense. And it's 
it's hard to blame them. I mean, it didn't do well at all. But they took a shot because if that deck is the best deck, it's going to work out very well because it's so unfair. Um, so they took a shot and failed and made for an interesting pro tour. Uh, I also played Aetherworks Marvel, but I came to the probably a different conclusion, which was I wasn't sure if I could ever figure out the best way to play an aggressive deck or what the best aggressive deck would have been because I don't I didn't have a team to test with. So I just played the biggest, most like powerful thing that I could do and try to get a little lucky. Yeah, I mean that's what that's what Matt Nass said. Matt Nass said when he top eighty, he said you just have to embrace the variance variance and roll with it. But Jim killed all the variants; it just went completely even, fifty fifty, no variance at all. I like I was the variance was like in my favor in the constructed parts. I just like bombed limited because I don't know. I just like forgot I was playing against people that don't suck at the game. So. <laughs> Like I just wasn't prepared for the level of skill of every opponent. Like I just, I don't know. I just I made some some mistakes. I don't know. Maybe it's just because it was the morning. I just wasn't ready. I don't. I don't really have an excuse for why I did so poorly in the draft. But had I done better in the draft, I would have obviously had a much better finish. Like my constructed record was reasonable. I went six and four in constructed, and I only lost to. One pretty lucky green black delirium deck and a bunch of spell queller decks, which are like just really bad matchups for Aetherworks Marvel anyway. So, so what was your record in draft? Uh, two and four. I mean, some of the best players in the world show up and go two and four. That's true. I didn't owe three any draft. Uh, I did better than Brad Nelson and Jerry Thompson, who didn't even make day two, but I was like still not very happy with my draft record, especially since in the second draft, I think I drafted the best deck I've ever drafted, like, in a draft ever. And it just didn't break my way. Like, I played against some tough opponents, and the cards just didn't come out the way I needed them to. And so as a result of your Pro Tour finish, Jeremy has decided that Magic is completely over, and life is not worth living anymore now that Jim doesn't want to play Magic. That is not at all true. He's been on that saying since, like, I think I met him. That's true. The sky Wait, is falling. The sky magic, is falling. Magic hasn't died yet? I mean, it's it's already gone. Magic's oh. been dying for 20 years, just like you've been dying since the day you were born. That's oh. true. Yeah. I mean, we all die eventually, right? Yeah. It's just part of life. The question is, how do you want to spend that? And Jim has decided to finally stop spending it in airports and convention centers. Which is not necessarily a bad choice. I don't actually go to that many tournaments that I spent like a whole lot of time in airports and convention centers, but I spent too much money on cards and tournament entry fees, just even at local levels, like too much time like at, when, when every friday night i was going out to play magic because uh i don't know that was just what i did it gets a little it gets a little grindy and then if i go to play any pptqs on the weekend and that's poor magic and then i come back on like then monday rolls around i go back to work and i'm like man i should have mowed the lawn i didn't do that interesting because i like i have to run the store here and i'm in magic you know, I'll be at Magic twice during the week, and then I'll be working in an event during the weekend, and still every Friday rolls around, and I'm like, yeah, I really want to go draft tonight. I mean, that's that, that could be true, but, like, when you're doing Magic on the weekends, you're getting paid for it. 
It's not negative money. Yeah, I mean, you write it's work. It's a little different in that sense, I guess. Yeah, like if I was like working for a vendor on the weekends, buying and selling cards, like it wouldn't nearly feel as bad. But the problem is most prop like most of the time playing magic is a money losing proposition and there's just things other things I want to do with my money at this point. Like I'm fiercely competitive and that's like my biggest fault. Like I got I, I, I finished my goal. I went I got to the pro store, I played and I didn't do fantastic, but I didn't do horrible. Like I didn't like oh five drop or something. So like I'm not disappointed, but the fact of the matter is that to get back on the pro store and to do better than I did previously, it takes so much more work to get there again that I don't think that I really it's in my best interest to do that again. Like doing it once was great. I wouldn't go back in time and change my, you know, my priorities, but I just don't think that it's necessarily in my best interest to continue doing that. You know, there's been some articles written about like how depressing it gets to just have to grind out tournaments every weekend and you get home from one thing and you go to work and you like see your family maybe at night and then next Friday you're out already again, go to another city that you've probably been to before and like don't care that much about. And, like I wanted to still be special and I'll take a break for a while. Maybe I'll come back in a year or two. Like nobody quits magic forever, but right now it's just not a thing that I want to do. I, I think I'm, I don't have the self-control to just like half-ass it. Like the only thing I know how to do is I had to know how to no ass or all ass. There's no there's no half assing things for me. So would you say for aspiring magic players that the EV is worth it? I mean, the EV has never been worth it. It's not a job. It never was a job for me. But the amount of work that you have to put in sometimes makes it feel like a job, but you don't get paid like one. So if your aspirations are to like own a house and have a family, then you probably shouldn't play Magic like it's your job. But if you're just like, have $100 a month that you want to spend on a hobby and you just enjoy playing Magic, it's really not that bad. So we recently had Matt Sperling release an anonymous article that one of his Pro Tour friends wrote, and I'm sure we've all read that or heard about that, where he basically says, even though you're a pro player, you're also the consumer. And they're trying to sell you a dream, or I forgot the exact words he used, but basically even being a pro player, you're still a customer, even if you're trying to make money in the game. Um, and so for those who are looking to go pro, um, from your point of view then, and I guess from Corbin's as well, is there any pitfalls that you guys want to talk about when it comes to this sort of stuff? You're taking a really large sort of like GoPro is really nebulous. You know, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm 19 and I want to, to survive in college off of magic? Does that mean I'm 30 years old and want to have a family with money men make off magic? Like, what are you, what is your, what are you trying to, to get at here? I think you would define GoPro as uh, on the train. Like How about rolling, just rolling, rolling, rolling gold. I would say rolling gold every season. Silver is probably not pro. Okay, so say so. There are there are certainly people who do that, um, who live completely normal lives outside of magic. You know, they have you know nine to five jobs, they have families, and they're just very good at magic and go play on the weekends. Um, and then they go play pro tours and ten GPs a year. Right? They spend fifteen to twenty weekends play magic, they play a lot of magic online at home and those people are pro. Um, and it's just a thing they do with their free time. You know, other people might spend that time going to the bar or playing League of Legends or playing, you know, Skyrim or whatever 
video game you play or whatever hobby you have, these people, some people just choose to, to spend it in magic and have to be very good at it. It's no different than, you know, for, for those people who are going and playing GPs every weekend, it's no different than the person who goes to FNM every Friday and then plays Commander on Saturday with their buddies. It's just a different level of the game um, and one that requires, you know, a little more, it requires more time. But I mean, my point is you don't, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You don't have to be a person who does magic literally 24 seven as their sole income and or not play magic. There's a, there's a middle ground. There are not very many people that can put in that amount of effort and maintain gold. Is I agree. Finkel, Paul, Finkel, Paul, Reitzel, uh, <laughs> Reduke maybe. <laughs> Well, Reduke is platinum, but um, but he yeah, I mean, like that little. And but there, there's a bunch. There's like Paul, uh, like Matt Nass. Um, you know, you have people like um, like John Stern, um, who was one of those people who's sort of on and off the train, but like right there, there's a ton of of gold level pros who have real jobs but are very good at magic. Um, you know, that's like I said, you have to be good at magic. I don't think, but that's what we're talking about. That's just the given. Um, it's, it's, you can't, not everyone can do it and they are trying to sell you that dream, but that's why you play the game. I mean, if, if that's what appeals to you, that's something that appeals to you in the game and that's what you want to try to accomplish, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can just go draft on FNM on Friday night and be enough, right? The game is as much or as little as you want to make it. So then would you argue that it, this is just like sort of a thought is vending more profitable than being a professional magic player. And is that why some of the professional magic players have opened their own shops? Um, who are you referring to? Well, so I this, ca this came from, cause we actually had a, we had a vendor on last week. We had the head buyer of Kerwan's game shop on last week. If you mm -hmm. guys want to check out that last episode. And we actually had about every single major vendor send me like a message about what we had talked about on the cast and something that had stuck out to me was uh ogre had sent me a message saying oh vending can make you a lot of money my guys make between 500 and 1500 dollars a week which first of all is a massively different amount of money that you'd be making but uh if we're talking more players who have turned into card shops spanky up in kc he was on the pt then he opened a shop now he's back on the pt and he actually has been doing well at Grand Prix, for example, if you know who that is. Doesn't Carlos Romano op own a card shop in South America somewhere? Um, I'm not sure. It's possible. I, be I, believe, I believe he owns a card shop, and I believe his like return is rather recent. Yeah, but that's South America. The rules are completely different down there. You're right that his return is, is recent. He... Uh, did well in London, and then obviously made the finals of the Pro Tour. It's the first thing you've done in a long time. Yeah, but with Latin America, there's a Brazilian different rules that you need to keep track of. You're the fucking worst sometimes. <laughs> I know that. You're just so bad. Yep. Um, it's just interesting to me because we just had people talk like, oh, I can make a ton of money vending, or, you know, vending's hard enough. We got into that last week with Ed about the fees and whatnot, so... It, it's a completely different monster to tackle. I mean, nothing is easy. Any job that you end up having, it's not a cakewalk. You have to work, and you have to work hard, and you have to work harder than other people. There's no avoiding that. Like, yeah. There's no free rides anywhere, unless your uh, so parents are like, loaded and they don't care. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I would say to answer your question, though, 
uh, vending is certainly more um, uh, stable than being a player, right? I mean, you know more or less what you're going to make in a weekend. It's sort like of thing. Like vending is more profitable than being a pro player in the same way that like a part-time job at McDonald's is more profitable than being a pro player. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just more reliable. But I yeah. mean, you're never going to win $50,000 or even $10,000 in a weekend vending, you know? So... Um, and also, I think it appeals you know, to you might win ten thousand dollars if somebody walks in your shop and tries to sell you a stack of mint alpha and beta and thinks it's worth three grand. Well, but nobody, just, nobody here on this cast has experienced that in the last month. Yeah, yeah, nobody on this cast would scumbag somebody like exactly. that. Either. Yeah, that's a different. That's a totally different. That's, there's lots of ways you can you can steal money. So I don't think that's a good argument, <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I think it appeals to different people too. You know, people who go into vending either want that stability. That's what they want in their life. Um, but a lot of the pro players, I mean, they're diehard competitors and they're, they want to win and that's why they play and that's why they do it. You know, it's not about the EV. Everything's always about the EV. Like if, if the most enjoyable time in your, your life, the thing you really enjoy, just like other people might enjoy their video games or sports or whatever, if the most enjoyable thing for you is to go to a tournament and play Magic and win um, and, and play your best and get better and, and be the best, if that's something that drives you, uh, then the EV doesn't matter because that's what brings you you know, happiness and content contentedness in life. There's also the, the camaraderie. I think that a lot of players have with each other, especially as you talk in that pro level or even the SCG level um, with the people who see each other every weekend. And those are your friends. Um, you know, you can have a bad magic weekend, but you're hanging out with your friends who share the same interests as you. And if you're at home, um, you have wives and kids and all of these things that, that don't allow you to hang out with your friends in the same way that, you know, just being you and, you know, the group of people in a convention center or random city does. I think there's a lot of things that, uh, about the magic lifestyle of a pro that you're sort of referring to uh, that appeal to people that are not a church value calculation. Jeremy, when you uh, post this later, make sure you bring up the Pokemon theme song a little bit when Corbin is talking about wanting to be the very best, just enough in the background that people can hear Wait, it. Wait, you, you think I've ever edited this? <laughs> ever? No, this week you should. You should just bring it up just a little bit behind him. If I don't even know what the difference between a monitor and a computer is, like... <laughs> I, I wiped the server last week with a with a rag. Yeah, like Clinton. Ah, uh, you are something some days. Yep, pretty much. Uh, so Providence was a lot of fun. Um, I feel like I'm gonna write an article about it. All the vendors ran out of money very early on, which was pretty interesting. Um, now there were some interesting things going on. There were a lot of arbitrage opportunities because we had. Uh, one Canadian vendor, one Japanese vendor, and just a lot of middling vendors. So it was just sort of interesting to see, uh, for example, Savage TCG bought my Alpha Tundra and immediately went over to Channel Fireball and traded it for credit so that they could get all the cards that go for more in Japan because Channel offers a 30% buy bonus. So it was really interesting to see that. Just as like arbitrage on the high-end scale. I mean, that happens even sometimes right. in the low-end scale. Like, there are just vendors that are selling at a different level. Like, they're selling at TCG low because that's what they're used to. And there have been opportunities where I've, like, walked over to, like, a hot list, saw, like, this card is going for $15, and I walk by the vendor booth, and it's at 12 So I just buy them all, and I walk them across the 
you know, across the uh, convention center and make a bunch of money. So do you think that the vendors ran out of money early because there was such a low expected turnout of players to the GP? Like, do you think Channel Fireball saw like, oh, there's only like 700 people signed up. We'll only bring X thousand instead of our regular Y thousand. I don't think so. I, I'm not like privy to how channel or any other vendor runs that sort of stuff, but I would imagine they would just bring the same amount every time. Cause you always want to bring extra money versus not having enough. You want to bring as much money as you can afford to bring. That would be my thinking. It's interesting. It didn't seem very busy. Like yeah. there were, and I don't mean the GP, there were almost 1200 people at the GP, which is low by today's standards, but historically, you know, fine or big or whatever. Um, but the, the dealer booths did not seem that busy. Yeah. I was only there for Saturday. Saturday morning was pretty dead. Saturday around like round four, round five. And by the way, the rounds were on time. This new pile shuffling rule is awesome. Um, it seemed like there were a couple lines at the bigger name vendors, but there are a lot of people sitting there just sort of looking around, waiting for people to buy cards. As a side note, I don't think it was the pile shuffling that necessarily made the games yeah. go faster. It's a small I'm GP. Sure. I'm pretty sure it was just because it's a small GP and because everyone was trying to kill everybody really quickly. Yeah, also, um, they actually did a really good job. It was um, the last TJ Collectibles, last Grand Prix, uh, and they did a, a very good job. They had Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. First we lose uh, Legion, then we lose TJ. Man. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the i don't know how the magic community feels about different tos very well or anything like that but yeah it was tom's loss of that can we get Dude. rid of past slimes in the midwest please because that would be great yeah. that is unfortunate because there are only four tos next year in yep. the united states yep which is channel fireball star city games cascade games and pastimes that's I don't, I don't i don't i tend to think that most tos do a pretty decent job and that some do a great job. Um, but I, I don't think that there's very many like bad TOs. And what about PES? Does that mean PES doesn't exist? Yeah, PES hasn't done one in a while. I looked at the... They, they, they showed Isn't like when Milwaukee they announced... PES? I'm sorry? Isn't Milwaukee PES? Or PES or however it's... Uh, I don't... Is there one oh. this year in Milwaukee? Yeah, like, it's in, it's in I December. Then maybe, but like I'm saying, next year there's oh no, yes, that's true. There's only four tos in in North America, and then or in the United States. I think that face to face is doing in Toronto, and then there's another Canadian GP somewhere that another weird company that I don't know that's in Canada is doing. As far as there's, I know, there's face to face, and um, oh. Uh, uh, I don't remember now. <laughs> I worked their GP in Montreal, but I don't remember. Who yeah, was. I, I, there was there was some other TO. I think they're doing like Vancouver or uh, something like that. I don't know. But yeah, there's only four. There's only four TOs yeah. in the United States. Nick. The consolidation yeah. of TOs is, I think, good. Um, you know, you can talk about whether or not. Obviously, if there's a TO people like and then they leave, that's you know they're sad for them, and I get that. Um, but just sort of in a general sense, it's not like there's zero competition now, but things do get better with iteration, um, and it's a lot easier to implement feedback or whatever if you have a GP, you know, two months later than if you have one 
eight months later or whatever when you have a bunch of TOs. I agree. I agree. But it's just, I don't know how much more they can consolidate before it becomes starts to become a monopoly. Yeah, if it got to the point where it was just CFB and SCG or something like that would be a problem, I think. Um, because it would just be too much. There's too many Grand Prix. For, I mean, for it's, like it's getting pretty well. close. Like, isn't Cascade, like, didn't they work with Channel Fireball for a really long time? So I assume they have a pretty good working relationship. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I know that uh, the Dallas Grand Prix here in two weeks that I'm actually going to play in is a is a cascade event with coverage done by Channel Fireball. Um, so there might be something. I don't really know the details of it. Alrighty then. I think we should probably wait for Jeremy to get back because I don't know if this is recording anymore. Are we still recording, Jeremy? It still says live. Yeah, what happened? I'm just wondering like, if we recorded while you were gone. Yeah, you should have. Okay. All right, we just had like a little conversation. And I was like, man, we should probably stop if none of this is getting recorded. Yep, well, we will find out. That's the wonders of technology, right? There's no wonders. I never get surprised. Oh, well then. So, so what else is on the docket? We just had rotation changed once again. Wizards admitted they're wrong, which is something that they normally never do. They didn't admit they were wrong. They admitted that people didn't like their changes. That's basically wrong for what Wizards normally would admit to, right? Yeah. It's like people didn't like what we did, so we're changing it back, as opposed to, like, we made, we made a mistake and we're changing it back. Yeah. But How do you, once in so, rotation... I don't like it. I don't care. I don't like it. Not that I don't care that you don't like it. I just don't care about rotation. I care that you... I care about rotation. If cars right. rotate because if cars rotate slower, then they stay more expensive for your EDH decks. You have to wait uh, extra months now. It, this rotation change does not affect how many collections I'm going to buy and how like quickly I'm going to list cards in TCG Player after I receive them. You guys are so jaded. How is that jaded? I just don't care about rotation. I, I, I don't hate it. I don't love it. I just, what I say was jaded. I just said that I didn't like it. Mm, I guess I was talking about DJ then. I'm also you because you were talking about cards being expensive for DH. I mean, if it matters to players, it should matter to you. I mean, that I don't think that's true. Like, you it know, doesn't have, it doesn't change anything about what I'm doing right now. It doesn't change like how many ball are you I'm a buying. player of the game. I have EDH decks, and like this change does not affect like. It doesn't the, even matter that. Do you have an interest in the health of the game? Sure, but like it's not. And you should care, players. Not care. one bit. Zero goose egg. Like, like this doesn't change anything that I do. Like, it, like I didn't. Sh I didn't change what I did when rotation went to two a year, and like it's not going to change what I do this time either. Yeah, but that's different than it's not. Doesn't change what I do is very different than I don't care. Like I, I don't know. Like it doesn't change what I do at the store. It doesn't change what I do for coverage. It doesn't change any of those things, right? But if players like it, then that's good for the game, and therefore I care and like the change, right? It's. I mean, that's the way I look at it, right? It's the health of the game clearly matters to all of us who have a financial interest in the game. So it feels like it feels like you should at least you know, 
be able to 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 be I can appreciate the fact that they on. took feedback and made decisions based on feedback. Yeah. But, like, I can I mean, still I can still ignore the fact that like things changed overall because like in my bubble like nothing changed for me. If people like get get back into magic and like start buying cards from me again like sure that's great but like some people will hate the change and some people will leave magic and that that like is worse for me but like I don't know. I just didn't. I like. I don't, so, I just don't so Jim, Jim, why don't you like it? I'm curious. So, there are a lot of cards in sets that like get overshadowed pretty often by other cards in other sets. I know this is super vague, but basically, I was hoping there'd be a world where we would have Shadows of Rainerstrad cards without Battle for Zendikar cards because. If there's a card in Shadows over Innistrad block that's just really bad against Reflector Mage, and Reflector Mage is an Oath of the Gatewatch, and there's just never a point in time where they're ever not both in standard, then you'll just never get to play with some cards that could have been good um, because they just never left. Uh, the other thing is, like, I think that some more powerful strategies will be less prevalent, and it'll feel bad because I feel like they could do more... They could take more risks if cards are in standard for less time, because if, even if they're in there for an extended period of time, like there's on, it's unlikely to ever get as bad as Jason Stoneforge Mystic were. So, like for example, a lot of people are really mad because the Aetherworks Marvel deck is a thing, and if we were having another rotation when Amhunket came out, then we would only have this the specific configuration of Aetherworks Marvel for six months. And then Ulamog rotates out, and Aramakul's is not good enough by itself. Like, then you get like this new new standard where like maybe you don't have to really worry about that card anymore, or like towards the end of the lifetime of the card, you get some new thing that makes it good again. Like, I like it when standard gets shaken up by new cards leaving and new cards coming in, and the less times that cards are leaving, then you have like these more more of these periods where it's just like and we have another six months of collected company. Yeah. Ooh. I think it's really interesting because I think a lot of people agree with what you just said. At the same time, um, it feels like when you have this six month rotation and you said cards come out, it's because they're new blocks, not just new sets now, things change so drastically. The overwhelming uh, feeling seemed to be, well, my deck is just always on the verge of being dead. Like, why do I want to put money into this? It's always on the verge of rotating. Which, I mean, yeah, it's exciting when you get to play your new deck, but then you get to play your new deck for a month, and then it's basically dead again, right? Or it's, um, it feels like it's on the verge of dying, and well, it drove I mean, a lot it's, of people out because of months. Right, like in theory, um, but you know, green white tokens won shadows of Renishrod. That deck was nowhere um, after Oath. Or after um, Eldritch Moon came out, and now it's absolutely nowhere this this three months. Like you get very little time with your decks, and I think that it drove. I mean, we know that it drove away more people than it brought in. And I agree. When the change happened, I was like, "Yeah, rotation is the best part of standard. This is awesome. You know, this is really exciting." But people just didn't feel like they had enough time with their decks. And I think I think part of it is because the two block change came along at the same time as a six-month rotation change. I think that the six-month rotation change might have been different when they were doing one block a year because 
even if the cards are different or whatever, the major archetypes stay the same because they're the same mechanics. Um, so I think that in conjunction, those two things had the effect of players feeling like they just didn't get to play their cards for long enough, and why buy in? If I'm gone for two weeks, then now I'm losing so much of the time that my deck is going to be viable or whatever because then another set hits and it's gone or a new block hits and it's entirely new mechanics, et cetera. I mean, so it's, it's really yeah. interesting. That problem is really com compounded too by the fact that you look at and you go, okay, your deck is exists for three, maybe six months, right? Except that it's not like most people have all of those cards on day one. You know, it takes them anywhere from two weeks to two yeah. months to acquire all the cards for that deck. A lot of people don't want to run out and spend all the money, so they trade for them. And by the time they put it together, it's not, you know, it's not legal anymore. It's not good right. anymore. I would care a lot more about this if this happened in 2012 and I was wondering whether or not Dust Mental Seer would make me a fuck ton of money. I would care more about this if this was actually being recorded. <laughs> what's, wait, what's happening? Apparently, it, like, Google didn't catch like half this cast. Was did it get the first half that has you singing? No, it has the second half. All right, so we'll just have I to have said, sing before. I said smart ready. stuff in the second half. Yeah. Yeah, so like the other the other thing is that I think that there'll be more times where we're just going to get less fun cards because they'll just be too good and too dominant for too long of a period of time like I don't counter. think there was anybody that shed a tear when Siege Rhino left Standard. I don't think that that person exists. And if he, he or she does, then that just makes one person, probably. Um, you know, like, if Cons of Tarkir and Fate Reforged had stayed in Standard for an extra six months when Shadows Over Innistrad came out, we would just have had, like, Rally the Ancestors for, like, literal forevers. It just it just wouldn't have gotten any worse, and nothing else would have made it any worse. None of the decks that came out afterwards were going to be anything against those decks. I mean, I can agree with that and say that it's irrelevant, right? Wizards doesn't make changes unless, like this, uh, major shakes shakeups the standard unless it's um, proven that it's what the player base wants. Um, as determined by sales numbers, right, or attendance numbers, or any of the metrics they have access to. I mean, I agree with you in that it would be bad, but, you know, at the end of the day, they have the information that we don't, and they made the change for a reason. And when they say the reason is it's what players wanted, there's no reason to not believe that. That's true, um, but I feel like there's a lot of people that don't know what they want, and that's not an argument that I think anyone can really have, but... That's just how I feel. I'm also really not sure that they waited a long enough time to like figure out if people were smart enough to understand what was going on. Because I felt like the way that they presented the argument was that like people were unsure of how it worked, and they weren't sure when their cards would come and go. And I think that might have just been part of just being unfamiliar with the new system. Not necessarily that they couldn't understand it, that they just hadn't grasp it or like the more casual players just hadn't had enough time with the new system to understand what was going on and that's probably a possibility but I think that the fact that they literally only waited for the first block to be rotated out of standard that was announced to be part of this new rotation like they waited for that whole block to rotate out and then they changed it back and I don't know if that was enough time to really like 
get a good grasp on on how those changes affected people whatever it was, it was they, whatever it was that they found out must have been pretty yeah. dramatic to get them yeah, that's, that's that my, fast yeah that's my take too because like i don't think that anyone at a company that just made a big change like that would disagree with you uh, jim that it was very soon and they didn't have a lot of time which yeah means that what they found out was drastic enough to make them pull the trigger on it i think it just strengthens the argument that they had very good reason for doing it In general, if we're, you know, as far as we're concerned, it's it's a little disappointing just because, uh, you know, making money uh, tends to do well with volatility, at least in this type of market. Car, you know, big swings in prices make it easier for us to find um, profit margins at times. So it's unfortunate to lose that, but at the same time, it's nice that uh, fall sets are going to be a little more reliable, and we don't have that. It gives time, the you know cards like getting a little more time to shine, uh, and and makes prices a little more predictable. So I guess it's less fun because uh, you're less likely to knock your 50 cent mythics out of the park. But at the same time, you'll still probably do pretty well if you're paying attention because you're going to know exactly what's going to happen every fall. Yeah, and that's the other thing that like kind of irks me about this going back to the old rotation is that the cards that are in fall sets and winter sets are just going to be just better to own than the cards in the spring and the summer sets. Like they made, they fixed that problem of the time that a set spends in standard is like kind of flat across the board. So it doesn't really matter when you get in. Any time is a good time. But now it's like really hard to argue that the best time to get into standard is not in the fall because the cards that you buy then are going to be in standard the longest like considerably longer than everything else. Can we just talk about how masterpieces are about to tank based on what Doug just linked us? What is that? Basically, uh, if you're a Wizards uh, Play Network store, you can sign up for a uh, basically some sort of promotional buy a box thing. And uh, I'll just read the thing. Uh, to help to help drive additional traffic into your store over the holidays, we're also launching a special holiday buy, holiday buy a box promotion. Sign up in a Wizards event reporter, and you'll receive 15 buy a box boosters to distribute to anyone who purchases a full display of holidays in your store. Just like previous buy a box programs, this promotion is designed to support brick and mortar retailers. Only in store purchases eligible. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then, the drop rate is one in every 50 of those packs for a masterpiece. Yeah. So buy a box and standard showdown booster packs contain three cards. The cards are something in standard. And then you will get a foil of any rarity or a card from the Masterpiece series, one out of 50. So there will be a significantly higher print run of Masterpieces than we even initially expected based on the initial print run of Kaladesh. Magic is ruined forever. These look like the dumbest. These look like they took the treasure chest thing for Magic Online and they're like, wait a second, guys. We could put these in stores, too. And they didn't insult us by putting commons and uncommons in them, so that's kind of nice. Well, isn't this just a buy up? Like, this is a reward for buying a booster box, though, instead of just the promo, right? Yeah. Or, or in addition to the promo. Like, it's not like a. It's not like a reward for winning an event or anything. It's not like it's, 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 a weird, it's a weird booster. It's a foil 
of any rarity. So you get a foil common or a masterpiece. Like it's very, very big difference in what you can get. And then any rare or mythic. And then the last slot is a common, or uncommon. Sorry, an uncommon, a rare or mythic, or a full art basic land. Why can't there just be unhinged lands? Just throw that curveball in there. I have to imagine they're probably Battle for Zendikar lands. No, I can't I imagine any reason why they wouldn't do those. They're, they're Battle for Zendikar lands. But, um, so, so this leads people to buy more boxes and magic is dead? Is that what we're coming to? Sounds like it just lowers the price of Where Jeremy's more. going. Yeah. yeah. I'm just glad I sold a bunch of... So... One of my strategies strategies was to bring like all of my old random rares that are worth money from like Shadowmore and Eventide and just dump them this week last week, just because whatever is going to get reprinted. It was like a bunch of like the the multicolored Shadowmore Eventide stuff because I just think some of that's going to get reprinted in these commander decks. So I was just like, nope, done with this. Bye. Get out of here. So I basically just dumped everything I thought was going to get reprinted. There was like no strategy involved. It was more of a chicken little sale. So, can you go over what your argument is for why magic is dying based on this uh, masterpiece thing? Uh, they're basically making mythics. Masterpieces are the new mythics. Mythics are the new rare. Rare is the new uncommon. Blah blah blah. So but, magic died back in Shards of Alara, then, right? When when mythics came out. No, magic died when modern was introduced, which was a little after Shards of Alara. Okay. It's not an actual strong argument. It's just something I enjoy. Um, I'm not a really big fan of masterpieces. I'm not a fan of how low they drive every other card. Kaladesh will eventually get there. It's not there yet, but it'll just be another battle for Zendikar Oath of the Gatewatch, where Sylvan Light, where Sylvan Advocate could have been a ten to fifteen dollar rare, but masterpieces push that down. So when you say magic is dying, what you really mean is your cards aren't going to be worth as much. Yeah, that's all I care about from a financial perspective. Is the game still fun? Of course. We had a couple beers last night and played with the dual deck anthologies and casting an unsleeved ancestral vision that I just riffle shuffled felt. It was like the best magic I've ever experienced. That's the type of magic I want to play. So I actually just bought every single dual deck today that I didn't own out of anthologies just to mess around with. Like I just want to play with casual magic and like really high powered vintage, but nothing in between please. So, yeah. I'd rather, I think I think that the whole point of masterpieces and making Sylvan Advocate a five dollar card instead of a ten or fifteen dollar card and all these things is that it makes more people able to play the game. And yep. I've said from literal day one of my getting into magic finance that the point was to help more people play the game. That's all this is. Like more people play the game, the game's not dying, I'll sell more cards at the store. My margin on a or my, my raw numbers on them won't be as high, but the end of the day you'll have more players um, because it's easier for people to get into it you don't have that guy who likes magic and then you say well standard's your best bet you know it's the easiest way to get started you can draft and use your leftovers for it and then he needs 500 dollars for a deck and he just quits edh is a better starting place than standard i would argue uh if you're mm-hmm. no no <laughs> really? the, complex, the port complexity of EDH is far too high for a new player. Yeah, you don't want to introduce somebody to EDH and be like, well, it's turn five, and there's 18 triggers in the stack. Let me show you how I resolve all these. No, no, no. I guess we yeah, just turn our have players ever... through a cauldron of fire. As I say, have I you ever played with a introduce... person that like doesn't play a lot of EDH, and they have to read literally every single card anyone plays? Yeah, it doesn't bother me. 
I do not want to introduce oh. somebody to EDH when you can't come out of was just printed. Say that one more time, Doug. I do not want to introduce somebody to like who's never played Magic before to EDH and then watch a Panharmonicon come into play on turn four. Much better to introduce them to Magic far long ago and then cast uh, Ice Cauldron on turn four. <laughs> I what if we just, that card just teach people to play by drafting? Or I love even drafting. But <laughs> drafting is also dying. No, no, you can also teach them to play standard after they crack a Kaladesh pack and you have to explain dubious challenge to them. Somebody told me it was a new collective company at the pre-release, and then he cast it and it didn't go well for him. And I was like, "Tell me, tell me again, how you feel about the piece challenge?" Apparently, that that um, the artist that did that piece did it on a canvas, like he painted it traditionally. I kind of want to tell uh, tell James Chilcott so that he buys it. Look up the art for this card. So, I, so I've always, I, I, I hear through chat or whatever this Jeremy's argument that Magic's constantly dying or whatever, but I, I don't know, man. The numbers came out last week for the third quarter. Uh, Magic was up high single digits. It got called out multiple times as leading the way in growth. In Wait, the were category. we? Was this the one that we were up 8% in the player base? No, they don't give numbers on player base, um, okay. nor do they even give numbers, at least in this report, based on, on, on actual growth. Um, but the language they used um, was was pointing to single-digit but strong growth. So, you know. But it slowed down. Obviously, you can't increase exponentially forever. But, yeah, but it slowed down like two years ago. How can like, you have faith in Magic when Magic Online doesn't even work correctly? Because people don't play Magic to play Magic. Online, people play Magic to play Magic. A lot of people play Magic Online, and it works just fine. Yeah, like Magic Online isn't for like introducing somebody to Magic, though. That's not the program they use to like enfranchise new players. They have that with Duels, like uh, Magic Duels, yeah. the, the free program. Magic Online is for like the hardcore grinder who's played for like fifteen years and like is is willing to put like enough money in to get a second collection, and then isn't going to quit the game when some sort of sideboarding bug happens. Like, yeah. Jeremy, do you play Magic Online? Uh, that was actually where I first started playing Magic. Okay, and you think it's a buggy mess that never works? I was much happier with V3. Okay. I started in, in version 4, and I've played ma a lot of Magic Online for more than a year now, and I've encountered a single-digit number of bugs in that time. Okay. So I get really annoyed when people... The, the circle jerk of Magic Online doesn't work. There are some egregious bugs. You are in the minority on that one. There is no yeah. way that that is common. Anyone who plays Moto with any regularity, I mean, the sideboard bug right now is pretty severe. Yeah, it's, it's egregious, I agree, but it's also far from the only online game to have egregious bugs at times. Most bugs in most games are not as bad as Moto's. And you're not, not paying as, as much for that game. Motos. Right, and they don't cost you money like Moto's do. Look. When you have a bug, they give you compensation. But I mean, you, lose your, you lose your time. Sure, no, I lose my time in a game of League of... I lose my time in a game of League of Legends, too, if the game bugs out on me. The I don't game's my free. Own. League is free. He just, but he just said it was the time. I just told you they gave you compensation. So but you have to pay money moment. to play Magic. Yeah, you and you give your money return to you. Here's the other like, thing. So his argument is not that the money, it's the time. You you the time the league, league, too. The problem yeah, with Magic Online... I know, I'm agreeing with you, Corbin. Yeah. 
is that the compensation policy has been changed so many times, and right now it's quite bad. Yeah, it's so garbage. You only get compensated if you lose because of the bug. If you win, even though there's a bug and your time is basically at this point worth nothing because you you didn't get to do what you needed to do. Like if you're testing for like the Pro Tour, for example, which I tried to do, but I couldn't remember my password and then when I tried to reset it like four times, I didn't get emails, so I gave up. Anyway, if you encounter a bug and you win the match anyway, you don't get any compensation for your time. Which is stupid because you didn't get the experience that you wanted. Yes, you won, but that doesn't, that, in the grand scheme of things, that doesn't matter. I can agree with that being poor policy. For me, it's more you have to pay $10 right off the bat for Magic Online, and you get, like, nothing in return. They they switched over, like, a year ago to you get, like, a free draft, and I don't know what the policy is now because I quit. But- I, I just signed up for Magic Online, like, two weeks ago. You get five, uh, like, regular, like, actual money dollar tickets or whatever. Like Yeah, that's still the same. Yeah, and you get, like, 20 or something like new player tickets which you can use to like get the rest of your like five tickets so like you basically pay ten dollars and you get ten dollars magic tickets so you don't like actually and you get like two of very common from standard so that's worth like at least a couple of dollars uh yeah i don't remember how we went down this rabbit hole so if this <laughs> is somehow connected to whether magic is dying or not uh i'm not taking a firm stance on that in any direction but i will not tolerate somebody standing here and defending that piece of shit software there is no redeeming quality about that thing none none whatsoever you literally have people who are addicts to the game that are spending more money to get more money in or they are forced to test on a piece of I shit software online and i've encountered single digit number of bugs you have a vocal minority on the internet because when the bugs happen they are bad and they are slow to be fixed do you remember when version 4 came out and reddit was just it was everywhere about how bad version 4 was yes it was bad and they've improved it since then have they not but they shouldn't have put that out okay but it happened man what are they supposed what are we supposed to do about more more than a year later now they reversed it before they can reverse it again I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a step further. The bugs are bad enough, but even beyond that, the program itself is just bad. Like every aspect of that program is 15 years behind the curve on technology, on any piece of software. It's just bad. I would probably be the person who played the most magic in this group if Moto was not what it is. I would play significantly more magic if I had confidence in the program as well. And they it's can't even put all the changing, cards though. that are printed in Magic out there. Like they, That's they, the other thing that bothers me. They're like, oh, you like Conspiracy 2? That's great. You can have these cards in whatever stupid way we're going to put them out. Like yeah. you, can't, you don't even get to experience the full Magic design. Now, is Momer Vega a cool format? Yeah, I'll give you that. You can't do that in paper really easily. But so, it, you can't even play with all your cards that you own in paper. I want to I wanna, I wanna bring it in a little bit and bring it back. Keep it on the same subject, the Magic Online. But have you guys talked about the new redemption stuff that they changed? Like, with the new changes to how long stuff stays in standard now, the redemption, like, shortening is, like, pretty bad to that end as well. I really liked Corbin's uh, analysis of that, so. Uh, uh, where 
you, what are you talking about when I said that they're if they're gonna face if they're gonna get rid of it they're gonna face it out slowly? Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Like I I so, don't think they want redemption as a long term goal. I mean I don't know and I don't want to presume to know, but I do know that it was important in the beginning because they needed to give people confidence in a digital only platform. Now there's clearly confidence in digital only platforms. <laughs> no way. The, the irony of you saying they need the you referring to Moto and saying people now have confidence in digital platforms is just amazing. I mean, I agree with your general point, but to use Moto as the example for that. Do you understand no, no, anything that was actually saying? No, no, what he wasn't say? saying that people have confidence in Moto. He's saying people have confidence in a digital product, a digital only product. A digital yeah. card game, like Hearthstone. People have, yeah, like, I don't know what you were possibly taking from what I said there. Like, Wizards saw Hearthstone and say, like, oh, people believe in this, this can work. And then they're taking people, it. People spend money on, on online. Like, back then. I know, no, no, I get you. You're, you're correct. You're correct. I'm not disagreeing with you at all. It's just really funny to hear you talk about confidence in a digital platform in the same breath as talking about Moto. Because like it is the least confidence generating digital platform that exists today. Like but I'd rather like, put my money in Bitcoin than I would rather put it in than put it in Moto. But like the majority disagrees with you because Moto, like people, Wizard still sells tickets. Wizard still like fires right. events on Moto. Like people haven't quit. It hasn't no. gotten bad to the point that where the people quit. There is a lot of uh, yeah, play. it has some, because some people have quit. There it was so bad online that they couldn't even fire the dailies. And they had to reduce the amount of vintage. It was like they put out a statement where both vintage and legacy weren't firing for some reason. I forget exactly what was going on. But because they nobody on played vintage. That wasn't a problem with it. They did vintage masters to try eternal masters, but vintage masters try to keep people into it. People just don't play that format because like it or not, it's not really accessible to the normal person. No, I think it was because they changed the payout and the payout was no longer worth it. I'm I'm willing to to say that I would expect the percentage of players who play Moto strictly because they need to use it for testing and improving as a player purposes for Paper Magic is between 25 and 50 percent. Like basically, you well you that means you have a huge amount of people who only use the platform basically because they have to, not because they're excited to. Like it's not something they are doing for for fun. If you somehow found yourself in a parallel universe where paper magic sets were not the same cards as, as digital magic and you like couldn't draft the same sets and couldn't play the same constructed formats, you would have significantly less players on Moto because it wouldn't be useful to move that information over. Nearly as useful. So like everybody, every person that I know, and this is anecdotal, but every person I know that plays Moto only does it to basically practice drafting for PPTQs. See, I think the fact that you're even mentioning PPTQs define like shows the the bias, right? Because I talk to all kinds of random people who say, I really want to play magic, but I have two kids. The best I can do is draft play night at home. I don't have six hours to go to Friday night magic, but I can draft magic online at one AM. Like they, they they guess what? it appeals to different people for different reasons. And like, like my anecdotal evidence off that, Corbin, like I downloaded Magic Online first time a couple weeks ago. I made this random janky brew that Ryan shared in our chat. And I played it in the just for fun casual room, and I've played against different people like 30, 40, 50 to like times playing weird janky little standard brews that cost like thirty or forty dollars or less, like some random mono black artifact control, like uh, like blue red thopter like infinite thing. Like people play Magic online just to pl play janky brews that cost like a tenth of what standard costs. I, I didn't I say I didn't say nobody uses that. I'm just saying I think a, a considerable percentage of players use it because they have to. 
I mean, it, it is efficient, right? And it's the most efficient. I don't think that that's an indictment of the program. Like wow. you, can, you can practice <laughs> drafting on like tapped out or cockatrice or X mage. It, t technically, you can, but uh, the barrier to entry <laughs> there is it's even more awkward to use those it's services free. than it is to use. It's free. You yeah. just complained about the price. The, I, uh, well, clearly, I, people I, I, have I decided. Yeah, yeah, clearly, people have decided that the amount of effort required to find value in drafting with those other programs is even worse than it is to use mm -hmm. with Moto. But that's not a glowing. Uh, uh, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. It's like, I don't think anyone says that Magic Online doesn't have problems. I just think that there is a lot of bias and it's very trendy to to trash on the program when a lot of people find value in it. I mean, it clearly has problems, right? But that doesn't mean that it's this thing that should just be trashed on. And to say this is where this started, Jeremy said, how can you have faith in the future of Magic when Magic Online doesn't work? Well, right? Because that person comes to me and says, Man, I really like playing Magic, and this program's hard to get into. But I really like drafting it, and I can only do it at one AM, so I do it. That's how well, I have future. In the, that's how I have faith in the future of Magic. I'm not buying into Jeremy's uh, predicate here. You know, the, the the basis for his argument, I'm not buying into. But I I just think the program's garbage. They're disconnected. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. I don't even know what got recorded, so I'm gonna have to see if we can stitch this together. Let's go into pick of the week. Corbin, you got a spicy one for us. Do I have a spicy pick of the week for you? Well, let me think. Uh, I just covered Providence. There were a lot of standard decks. The white blue deck uh, was the big deck coming into the weekend. It did very well in Kuala Lumpur. It did much worse because Black Green came up. So um, I think Liliana could have upside uh, because Black Green has definitely come back around. I think that things in that archetype are going to, to do well overall. And Liliana is probably the flashiest. Um, you know, we've already seen Grim Flare jumps and, you know, maybe Sylvan Advocate, right? If, if you think that. Like, I think Oath, I've talked before about Oath having a lot of upside with the Eldrazi and Slow and Advocate and all of these things, but I mean, Advocate might make a comeback in Standard here as Standard slows down again with the, all the combo decks sort of getting pushed out. So um, that's sort of the deck I'd be looking at in Standard right now. And Liliana, I think, could be um, really coming back. Doug? 